Like, uh, like Rebecca said just a moment ago, my goodness, it really is a unique time in the history of the church where we go from being, we go from being online only to outside in a parking lot to, to back up here recording stuff to now trying to do everything at the same time. And listen, you, you, no one teaches you how to do this. We're just making it work and we're doing our absolute best. So thanks for the grace. But also, if you could just in the comments, throw out some shout outs in the comments today to anyone that you see on platform that might be, uh, that you might be able to encourage today. I tell you what, it is a lot of work to get this done. And so thank you so much to the teams that are here that are still a part of what's happening in this uh, sanctuary today. So grateful for you. Hey, if you don't know me, I know I was introduced, but my name is David and I am the lead pastor here. And I'm just so excited to be back sharing today as we start a new extended series from the book of Philippians. And listen, there's a lot of different ways to read and study and teach and preach the Bible. Uh, you can go verse by verse. A lot of churches do this and, and it's great. You can go chapter by chapter. Praise the Lord. It's going to be amazing. But for us with this series, we're going to be teaching it thought by thought. We're going to be teaching it thought by thought, focusing on big ideas presented within the text. My commitment to you, though, is that every word of this book will be read aloud in church. And we'll, if we need a little extra time to cover it week by week, we'll take it because there's no rush to get through it. We are going to, to make our way through this study at an unhurried, patient pace so we can really receive all that God has for us. Can't wait. It's going to be an amazing couple months as we dig into the book of Philippians. Now, all right, if you are new to the church, the book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Philippi somewhere around 62 AD while he was in prison in Rome. And this letter that he wrote to the Philippian church, it comes 10 years after 10 years after Paul first made his visit to Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Some of you might know the story. It's one of my favorites. It's called the Macedonian Call, where Paul, he had this responsible, this responsible plan set in place to go back to all the different places he had already visited and shared the gospel, to go back and reinvest in them and mentor them. But as he was, as he was on his way out, out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit interrupted his plans and sent him into a place that had no idea about Jesus. A place where East met West, the Roman occupied city of Philippi in what is now modern day Turkey. And what's amazing to me is it's there in Philippi that through the work of God's uh, faithfulness and, and Paul's obedience, the church finally expanded beyond the Middle East, beyond Jerusalem, beyond Israel, and into the West, into Europe. This is the first time that the word of Jesus made its way out of the Middle East and into Europe, and it was all according to plan. God faithfully made a way, and Paul was faithful to follow. This is a pattern we see. God made a way and Paul was faithful to follow. Incredible. And so it's to this church in Philippi that Paul is writing from prison to teach them and to encourage them and to remind them who they are in Jesus' name and what's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's here that the story picks up. So if you have your Bibles, follow me quickly to, to Philippians 1, starting in verse 1. And today we'll be reading through verse 11. Also, if you're taking notes today, I'd like to call this message, Now It's Up to You. 
Now it's up to you, all the teams that are watching after playing and leading us. I just need you to say this loud and proud of me right now. Now it's up to you. This is you. Come on. (laughs) We're working it out. We're creating new culture here. I love it. Now it's up to you. Now it's up to you. Starting in verse 1 of Philippians 1. Here we go. It says, This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. Verse 2, may God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. Verse 6, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you all have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Now pause there for just a second because there's a lot in there, right? There's a ton in there, first eight verses, but, but what did we just hear? Well, first, we, we know that Paul, he's writing to the church in Philippi, to all God's holy people who belong to Christ Jesus. And what's so amazing, what we need to remember today is that it means he was writing to everyone. He wasn't just writing to the seminary grads or, or the preachers or the pastors or the teachers. No, this book is for everyone. And that means that it means something to everyone. For you and for me. For you and for me. And so that's the first thing we see. Second is that Paul and Timothy, they have great affection for this community. They have a great love. We see uh, Paul write, whenever I pray for you, I make my request with joy. For you are partners in the gospel. God knows how much I love you. And I long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. When was the last time anyone in this room said that about their friends? Yeah. Every time I think about you, Wes, I give thanks to God. Every time I think about you, I give thanks to God. And that's what we see here at the beginning of Philippians 1. Paul, he knows these people, and he loves these people, and, and, and he longs for them and prays for them and thanks God for them, which sets the stage for point number three, and it's this, this massively important theological imperative from verse six when Paul says this. He says, and I am certain, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul says, I love you. I pray for you. I believe in you and I thank God for you. And I'm certain, I'm certain that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And I know that the majority of you in this room and also watching wherever you are, that you've heard this before. It's been on t-shirts and bumper stickers. It's been written into songs. One of my favorites from the mid-90s. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So good. And it's been quoted in just about every context and out of every context. But as I was reading this passage, 
As I was reading this over and over this past week, asking God to focus my heart on and mind on what he wanted you to experience and hear today, out of all the encouragements, out of everything we just heard in this opening thought, it was this. It was this that I felt led to emphasize. And so wherever you are, Wherever you are, whether you're, whether you're in the car, whether you're on the couch or the treadmill, whether you feel alone or isolated, whether you're with family, you feel ashamed or you feel alive, I need you to understand today, wherever you are, that God will be faithful to finish what he started in you. That God will be faithful to finish what he started. He'll be faithful to grow the seeds he planted in your life. And God will be faithful to, to complete the story he's been writing. God has and always will be faithful. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's given you everything you need. He's given you all the assurance and equipping you need. You have the incorruptible promise of eternity and the insurmountable power of the Holy Spirit. God has redeemed your past and brought purpose to your present. God has redeemed your past and brought purpose to your present, and he did it all. He did it all and more. But now it's up to you. Now it's up to you. What are you going to do about it? He did the work. He called you. He saved you. He raised you to brand new life, Philippians 1. But now it's up to you. So the question I need you to be considering for the rest of this time is, is how will you be faithful with God's faithfulness? How will you be faithful with God's faithfulness? And, and, and I get that, that, that that's a challenging question to answer because it, it requires a response. It's a challenging question because it also implies that we're somehow responsible for what we've received. It's up to you. And now it's up to you. And this acknowledgement, it's up to you. This acknowledgement, it can create some complications in our hearts and in our minds. You know, that God has given us this amazing promise. But even with God's incredibly proven track record, we all still tend to question deep down if it's conditional. Like what happens if we don't steward what God has given us well? What happens if we don't make the most of God's generosity? What happens if we're just dumb sometimes? What happens? Then what? It can be so easy to overthink and underestimate God's character and his promise. And in, the pro and in the process, either totally ignore God's faithfulness until heaven or start to think that it'll get stripped away unless we're perfect. Faith can be so complicated. Still, the question remains, Philippians 1, what will you do with the gift God has given you? What will you do with the gift? It's paid for. It's, everything is paid for, but now it's up to you. What will you do with God's gift? Reminds me of a, a couple years ago for my dad's birthday. Um, we went up to celebrate at their place. We, at the time, we lived in this old uh, brick 
lumber mill they converted into condos, and it was the sweetest place. I'll show you pictures sometime. We lived on the second floor. My folks lived on the third floor, and so we got the kids ready. We walked down the hall, hopped in the elevator, made it up to three, and it was amazing. We ordered Thai food, and it was great, and we had this amazing dinner celebrating my dad. But then, after we ate, he asked us this question. He just said, hey, for my birthday this year, it's my birthday, for my birthday, what I really want is to give you a gift. And we're thinking, what are you talking about? And he just says, for, so I, I just want to give you a gift. So everybody, get your computers out and go to Amazon. And we're thinking, what are you, what's going on? But then he said, for my birthday, I want everyone to spend $100 on what you want the most. Pretty sweet, right? Amazing birthday present to us from him for his birthday. He said, I want you to spend $100 on what matters most to you. My card is already linked to the account, so don't worry about the cost. It's already paid for. It's already covered. Now it's up to you, he says. Just go and get what you want most, then report back. I want to know what you get. And, and I don't know if you've ever had to do something like this. Uh, but it was simultaneously super fun and also crazy stressful because now we felt responsible, right? Respe- felt responsible to spend it well. It's his birthday. We didn't deserve anything, but he still gave it to us. The gift was there, $100, guaranteed. It was there to use. Now it was up to us. So we had 30 minutes to shop. And, and I went back and forth from seeing this gift as uh, an opportunity to indulge in something I would never pay for by myself or as a responsibility to be really careful with every penny. Do I get, listen, do I get two pair of $50 socks? Seriously, I was thinking. Or do I buy four boxes of diapers? Do I buy those sunglasses that were outside of my budget or do I buy the laundry detergent that I knew we needed? Because the gift was given. The gift was given. Now it was up to me to use it. The gift was given. Now it was up to me to use it. And, and honestly, I, I don't have a clear memory of what I actually did with the money, but that wasn't the point of the gift. The intention was for my dad to bless us and then see what we did with the blessing. If we would be responsible and pragmatic, or if we would be conservative and save some, or, or if we'd faithfully, by his request, if we would faithfully use it and spend it with joy on what we wanted most. The gift was there. The gift was there, but now it was up to us. And that's exactly what I felt God speaking to me in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. The gift is there. The promise has been made by the only one capable of keeping it. Think about that for a second. God made us a promise, and he is the only one capable of keeping it. And so now he's saying it's up to you to respond to the promise. Now it's up to you. you and, and so you can approach God's lavish generosity with a poverty mindset, thinking that one day he might run out on you, or, or you can 
choose to live faithfully in response to his faithfulness. You can live in, in fear and insecurity thinking, man, what if God doesn't like what I do with his generosity? Or you can choose to live each day with courage knowing that he's going to finish whatever he starts in you. He has done it all. He has made a way. He has paid the grave and bought you freedom with Christ's blood on the cross. But now, it's up to you. How will you be faithful with God's faithfulness to you? And listen, I need you to understand, again, wherever you find yourself today, it doesn't matter if you're six or 60, haven't been a Christian for a week or your entire life, God wants you to be faithful with his faithfulness. God wants you to approach this life with courage and obedience, knowing that the gift you've been given by him, he's not going to take it back. It's not going anywhere. God wants you to know that his grace is sufficient for you and love everlasting. And there's nothing that you can do that can ever separate you from the commitment he made to you. Nothing. From here to heaven, his promise remains true. It's like we just sang just a moment ago. Great is your faithfulness, oh God. Great is your faithfulness, but it's still up to you to live in reply to his promises. It's still up to you. It's still up to you to be faithful. But what, but what does that look like? I mean, we are surrounded by all sorts of garbage all day, every day. So what does it look like for us to be faithful with God's faithfulness? What does it look like? And, and, and where do you even start? Well, well, Paul, he expands on this in verse 9 between verse 9 and 11. And, and, and after all of the encouragements that he gave this church, if I love you and I miss you, I, I, I thank God for you, I'm praying for you, I'm confident that God will finish what he started with in you. After all of this, Paul, he parks on this and he prays for their faithful response. He prays for them starting in verse 9. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. So what, what does Paul pray for them? Two things. That they would live a life of love overflowing with understanding always growing. That they would live a life of love overflowing and understanding always growing. This was his prayer for them as he writes to the church, remember. So this must be true of us. If you, if you, if you, if you want to be more faithful with God's faithfulness, it has to start first with love. Because God is love. More than any other thing, God wants us to be a people defined by love because ultimately we are alive by love. We have been raised from death to life by love. So, so for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is us. We received God's love, a love that formed our eternal future. So the only way we can be faithful with his love is to love him back, to overflow with love for God and with, for one another. 
Our faithfulness starts with love. And second, again, it grows with understanding. It grows with understanding of God. And don't confuse, please, don't confuse knowledge or understanding with simply memorizing facts. I remember when I was a kid, we used to do like Bible memorization stories and we had the flannel graphs and all the fun stuff. And we get like the stars on the, do you know what I'm talking about? The stars on the thing? Am I, I'm totally, no one else can see you, but I'm seeing you. And so, you know what I'm talking about? The stars on the board, if you get something and you eventually get some prize. You know what I'm talking, okay, good. But please don't confuse, you never got it, I love that. But please don't understand knowledge and understanding with simply memorizing facts. God does not want to be solved. God does not want the mysteries of scriptures to, to fit into a, a neatly contained box. No, what, what knowledge and understanding means here from, from uh, Philippians chapter 1 is, is far more intimate. What Paul is getting at is he's, he's saying it's essential that we would grow in our relationship and intimacy with God. That we would know him, not just know about him, but that we would actually know him more so we can be more like him. Knowing God means spending time with God and understanding the things he does and cares about, pursuing his kindness and his goodness and allowing his faithfulness to inspire our faithful responses. God is not some random deity up in the clouds trying to keep his secrets from you. God is Jesus. Listen to this. God is Jesus who came to earth so we might know what he's like. God is Jesus who came to earth so we, so you and you and you, so we might know what God is like. So we might know how God loves and how he lives. So we must always start with love. We must always start with love, then continue to grow in our understanding. And not just so we can check that box, not so we can win the prize, not so we can earn our way to heaven, but so we can be more faithful. So we can be more faithful because God, he wants to use your life. God wants to use your life to show the world what he's really like. And I know, I know we talk about this a lot, but it's essential that we remember because this is why we're still here. This is why we're still on earth. The reality is we're, this is the re, uh, this reality is why we're not magically teleported up into heaven after we get saved because God wants to use his faithfulness in you to inspire the future faith of others. God wants to use your salvation. It's meant to be a living witness to the reality of him a living witness to the reality of God. And the way you live is intended to show the lost world how to be found. This is what it means to be faithful. So we must be faithful, but but please please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that as Christians, the way we live determines whether we or others will go to heaven or hell. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus already took care of that, and, and, and we're, we're set. What I'm saying is that, like Pastor Jeff said this past week, when we live like the end is here, when we live as people of the future living in the present, the world catches a glimpse of heaven. The world catches a glimpse of heaven. When we are faithful with God's promises, we plant seeds of grace that God promises to grow into harvests of righteousness. 
And that's what we see here in verse 11 as we close. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. God wants to use your life. He has done everything. He has done everything necessary and giving you everything you need for you to live faithful. Now it's up to you. Now it's up to you. And this is week one, Philippians 1, verse 1 through 11. God has done everything necessary. God has been so faithful and given you so much. Now it's up to you to be faithful with his faithfulness. Now, we're going to be wrapping this up in just a minute. Um, but as we do, what do you think might happen? I know that we've all been at different places and we're all coming at this, this faith journey from different perspectives, but, but what would you think would happen if we all, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, no matter where you find yourself, what do you think might happen if we, if we all decided to be more faithful with God's faithfulness? What do you think might happen if we all chose to live, to live out the gift of our salvation that we've been given with greater love and understanding for the glory of God? What might happen in this church? What might happen in our lives? What might happen in our families? What might happen in our cities? If we all began to live faithfully with God's faithfulness, because I need you to understand this is the expectation. This is the expectation. And again, it, it won't buy you heaven. Your faithfulness won't buy you greater love from God. That's already there. But, but your faithfulness will help you make much of your days. And I don't, know, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I have wasted so many days of my life. I have wasted so many days chasing after things that only let me down over and over again. I have wasted so many days living with cheap grace. I have wasted so many days embracing God's love for later, but completely ignoring his faithfulness for today. And listen, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. If we, if you and me, if everyone here, if we are to be the people God saved us to be and to fulfill the mission he gave us, then we must be people of faith in God's faithfulness. So let us contend. Let us contend to be a church of overflowing love. I don't know what that looks like for you, but, but let us contend to be a church of overflowing love. Let us commit to be a church that's always growing in understanding and relationship with God. And let us be a church that once again lives faithfully with God's faithfulness. This is the way of Jesus. There is no other. Let us follow him. Everything we need is now before us. Everything you need is now before you. The promise is made. The gift has been given. The end is now written. 
So now it's up to you. Now it's up to you. Let us, let us continue to be faithful with God's faithfulness. Amen. Let's pray as we close. Jesus, we are so grateful for you. We're so grateful for the gift that you have given us, the gift that has no strings attached, yet only only propels us into our greatest possible future. Jesus, we're so grateful that you love us and, and we are not a safe bet. It doesn't make any sense why you love us and yet you still love us seriously to the point of death. And so God, help us even now to let that love overflow out of us. God, give us the courage, give us the the passion to know you more and engage you that we might grow in understanding and knowledge of you. And Jesus, I, I just ask that you would meet us in this moment and you'd help us identify all those spots, all those things, all those disconnects that have to go so we might live faithfully with your faithfulness. Because Jesus, we acknowledge now, we acknowledge that it's up to us. You did the work. You gave us everything we need. Now it's up to us. So Jesus, help us again and again. Stay in step with your spirit. Help us again and again. Remember your love. Help us again and again. Live that greater reflection of you. So Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. The name above all names. And we all sad. Amen.